thanks for reading that for us uh, so well, Poi. Morning, everybody. Um, good to see you. It's great to be with you today. And my name's Mark, if we haven't met. I'm the assistant pastor here at, at Lionsdown. And it's just a joy, isn't it, to be coming to God's Word this morning with you. Um, there's so much here for us. Um, let's pray as we go into it. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your wonderful Word. And we pray for what we've just sung, Father. We pray that you would awaken our hearts, illumine our minds, and magnify Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. And we do so pray, Lord, that you would minister to us now. Whatever we're coping with, whatever we're carrying, whatever is really distracting us and weighing on our minds, I pray that you would meet with us and minister to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our question today is, how should Christians think about our bodies? It's a good question, isn't it? Because I think sometimes we're tempted to think, well, God kind of, he cares about the spiritual realm, you know, spirit world. That's, that's God's side. He doesn't really care that much about uh, our bodies. Uh, they'll just be kind of be discarded one day and we'll enter the spiritual realm. But what I want us to see today from this passage is that God has an amazing plan for each one of us, body and all. And it kind of changes how we think about the future. Hence the title of this talk. As you can see, if you've got your talk notes, then that might help you. Um, The redemption of our bodies. Let me tell you about three different Christians. Uh, They're all fictional, kind of just to illustrate something. And and I'm hoping through these three stories, um, they might connect with you in in different ways. Maybe one of them particularly, or or maybe a combination of of all three. But here's the first. Meet Connie. Connie is in her 80s, and basically her body is completely worn out and broken. She spends her life pretty much in constant pain. She goes from one serious health condition to the next, And her diary is filled with doctor's appointments and hospital appointments. She's totally fed up. What hope does the gospel give to someone like Connie? Meet Rasham. Rasham is 17 and is healthy, but is deeply unhappy about her appearance. She hates looking in the mirror. She has to endure a constant flow of snidey comments about her body at school. She cries most nights. And... uh, The many beautiful young things on social media, well, that just seems to exacerbate the feelings of inadequacy even more. She can't really see an end in sight. What does the gospel have to say to someone like Rasham? Meet Justin. Justin is 26 and in the peak of physical condition and, to be honest, a bit of a fitness fanatic. He trains regularly and is becoming quite well known among the triathlon community as a bit of a beast and is even considering competing at county level. Strong, energetic, he's extremely happy with his body right now. What does the gospel have to say to someone like Justin? Well, I think in each case the Bible speaks, and therefore God speaks really boldly uh, to people like them and to people like us. Um, With these words, just have a look down at verse 23. And as I read them again, just let them sink in they are glorious. Verse 23, Paul says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, for the redemption 
of our bodies. What's going on here? Well, um, the Apostle Paul has been, um, all the way through um, chapter 8, been telling the Roman Christians of, uh, since verse 18 actually, of their future glory. Um, Christianity is is future-focused. And he says that it's going to be glorious. A glorious future that awaits all believers. Not because Christians are better than anyone else, but because Jesus has removed their condemnation for their sin, chapter 8, verse 1, by taking that condemnation himself on the cross. And as he did that, he was saving his people from their sins. But actually, that's not the end of the plan, just to kind of forgive us and then leave us. It was then so that we would be cleansed and able to go with him to a perfect new world, to a glorious future, to bring us home with him. What does this future glory look like? Well, back in verse 18, we saw that it was going to be a glorious joy. Uh, We heard this from Rich, um, that this uh, glorious experience will be far far outweigh any suffering that we might experience in this world. That's encouraging, isn't it? However bad it might get now, that only kind of goes to illustrate how great it's going to be on the other side. A glorious joy. Not only that, verse 21, a glorious new creation. (laughs) A a, a new world, a perfect world that will far uh, exceed any of the most wonderful places in all creation. uh, I'm really not well-traveled. I think probably the southeast of England is pretty much it. But I know other people have gone to amazing other places and they send me pictures on WhatsApp and I think, oh, But even that won't compare to what the new creation will be like. But if you think about it, what's the point of being in the new creation if we're still in broken bodies, right? It would be almost the worst thing, wouldn't it? Because it's this glorious place, like, oh, not sure if I can enjoy this so much. It actually really matters. So here in verse 23, Paul wants us to say, actually, it's not just a a perfect new world you're going into. You're going to have a perfect new body. A glorious new body. That's what he's talking about here in verse 23. He says, we're looking forward to the redemption, or another word for that is the full deliverance of our bodies. When Christ returns in glory to judge the world, that day, Paul says, everyone who is in Christ, trusting in Christ that day, will receive uh, their new bodies. Everyone who's united to Jesus by faith will have a brand new body. It made me think, actually, of... Um, it was about five years ago now. I traded in my old car for a new car. It actually, it wasn't new. It was new to me. It was secondhand. But anyway, you get the point. And uh, it was... Uh, you know, the old car really was on its last legs. It was just dreadful and would go into limp mode. Do you know what I mean? Limp mode whatever. It doesn't drive very well. And uh, I remember I traded it in for this new car, and it was actually quite funny because the, uh, the, um, the quite sort of flashy salesman actually delivered it to my house. It was, I went, it was all the way in Chiswick, far away. He drove the new car to mine, and then he would drive my old car back. And it's quite funny seeing this quite flash guy getting into my car and just struggling with this thing as he hobbled away. I said, good luck getting to Chiswick, mate. Um, <laughs> 
But that's kind of the idea. We tr we're trading in. We're trading in the old with something not just better, but perfect. Our old, worn-out, broken bodies, brand-new, shiny one. That's great, isn't it? Now, I've got to admit, the Bible doesn't go into too much detail about exactly what these new body bodies will be like, and I realize this does raise probably a million questions, um, most of which I probably won't be able to answer. But I think it's really helpful if you look at Jesus. When he rose from the dead, what was his body like? Well, three things are clear from Jesus' resurrection body. The first one is it was recognizable. Do you remember? Mary, the disciples, knew it was Jesus. So, you know, hopefully, you know, you say, oh, it's Mark <laughs> in heaven. Recognizable. But not just recognizable, but also of a completely different order. Anyway, I could kind of describe it. Do you remember what Jesus was like? He, he would appear and then disappear. He would walk through uh, walls and locked doors. It was as if this world wasn't that real, but his body was super real. So it, it's hard to describe it. But it's going to be of a completely different order. And of course, not just recognizable and of a different order, but also immortal. Jesus' body is never going to suffer and die again. And that was what I think our bodies will be like too. It's a glorious future. Now, in verse 23, it does describe that day, doesn't it, when Christ returns and we receive our new bodies. Um, and it puts it in this way, as our full adoption as sons. Do you see that in verse 23? Now, you might be thinking, oh, hang on, I thought, you know, in Romans 8, we've, we've already been adopted. But you're saying we're still waiting for adoption. Both are true. Um, uh, it, it's like, um, uh, to, to use the language of the adoption image here, um, it's like a child has been uh, in the courts, they've made their decision, and the child is now legally adopted into, into the new family, but he hasn't actually had the homecoming party yet. Does that make sense? He's got the status as a member of the family, but he's not home yet. And, and that's kind of the situation with us. We're adopted, full rights as sons through faith in Christ, and yet we're still waiting for the homecoming, to be with him forever in our new bodies. Now I realize that you may be like, you know, Mark, that does sound really great, but can we really believe this? I mean, brand new bodies, it does sound too good to be true. How can we know this for sure, right? Is it, is it just wishful thinking? Are we just kind of collectively having wishful thinking about this? Well, I want to say we actually can be 100% sure this will happen. Why? Because it's already happened to Jesus in history. And that's our first point here on the, on the sheet, is that be confident. Two reasons. One, because of Christ's resurrection, and another one, because of the Spirit's guarantee. Firstly, be confident because of Christ's resurrection. Do you remember after Jesus died on the cross, three, three days later, he rose again from the dead. He conquered death and rose bodily and ascended to heaven. And now, because we are united to Jesus by faith, sort of connected, um, the, the idea is that where he goes, we go. Okay? And because he rose bodily, it means that we one day will too. 
that the, the doctrine of the union with Christ is actually massive, and I wish we could go into it more. But it's basically the idea of by faith we are connected, and where he goes, we go. The Bible puts it like this. I think we've got it on the screen. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 should pop up. Yes, there we go. It says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all should be made alive. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. It's a bit like, uh, have you been on a train? Of course you've been on a train. It's a silly question. Of course you've been on a train. You know how a tr- um, you've got the, um, the train, um, the engine at the front, and uh, connected to the train are all the carriages, right? And the train pulls the carriages through. Now imagine it's going through a, this big, long, dark tunnel. Okay? And because the train is pulling and powering through the tunnel, it's pulling all the carriages through as well. And that's a little bit like what it's like to, be, uh, to believe in Jesus, because we're united to him. It's like we're connected to the train, we're connected to Jesus. And because he punched through and conquered death and ascended to heaven, well, all those who are connected to him, the carriages, us, will one day go with him too. Do you see? We can be confident because it's already happened to Jesus. He's conquered death and risen again. The second reason we can be confident is because of, our, uh, is, is because of the Spirit's guarantee. Spirit's guarantee. So it's actually in our verse. Um, if you look at verse 23, there's a phrase there that says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now we saw this idea of the first fruits back in, uh, if you were here for the Leviticus series. Do you remember, do you remember that? It's the idea that you know, the first fruits were the, the first uh, um, things of the crops that would come up and you'd harvest that. And that would just be a sample, the first fruits, a foretaste of all that is to come. I think right now... Um, We've, we've got a very small um, apple tree in our, in our garden. And uh, it's lovely because for the first time, it's given us well, apples. They're not quite apples yet. They're sort of that, that big. Um, and they're going red. But it's a, a foretaste that apples are coming. So get the apple pie ready or pastry or whatever. Um, first fruits. And what Paul is saying here is that you've got the spirit as the first fruits of what is to come. He is like a guarantee. You have the Spirit, and he guarantees our future. So we can be confident. Be confident, dear friends. The future's going to be great. That's our first point today. Be confident in the redemption of our bodies. But the second um, thing I want us to see is groan, don't grumble. Groan, don't grumble. Because what will it be like as we, as we wait for that great day when Jesus returns, we get these new bodies, well, in a phrase, in a word, we groan. We groan. We saw that actually last week uh, in verse 22, that actually it's not just us, but the whole of creation is, in a sense, groaning. It's uh, longing for, it's looking forward to eagerly the day when Christ returns and it's released from its bondage to decay. And, and, and it's not just the creation, but also Christians. We groan too. Look, it says in verse 23, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Looks up that word groan. It means to sigh. <laughs> but with a sort of, you know, when you earnestly desire something that is greater and glorious and you're just, 
oh, I, just, I just wish it was coming sooner. It's important to say here there is a difference, isn't there, between groaning and grumbling. Um, groaning inwardly, I think Paul is describing a godly thing, a good thing. It's a groaning that is full of hope, full of trust in God. As we yearn, as we heartache for our new bodies. Groaning is a godly thing, whereas grumbling, well, that's a, that's a different thing in the Bible, isn't it? That's where, we, where we're filled with bitterness against God. Why is it like this? Maybe dissatisfied with his goodness and his sovereignty over our lives. And it casts us down in hopeless despair. And Paul says, I don't want you to grumble as you, as you wait. I want you to groan. <laughs> groan in faith and in hope. And I've got to be honest, it's a battle. Because when you're really going through it, it's tough, right? But we want to set ourselves in the right direction at least. Hey, we may not get there that easily, but we want to groan, not grumble. I'm going to turn away from grumbling. I don't want to groan well. <laughs> I think Job is a great example in this regard. Do you remember um, how God, he was, he was very successful, had seen the whole world at his feet, and, and God took it all away. And do you remember the words that he said when he was at the very rock bottom? Naked I came from my mother's womb, said Job. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I think it's a great example for us as we groan. And I I think it's fair to say that when you're young, you don't groan so much. (laughs) That's that's just just true, isn't it? And you might be like, Mark, trust me, you don't know nothing. (laughs) But, you know, kicked around a bit. I'm older than I used to be. Um, and if you ask my family, I literally groan as I get up and down. Maybe it's true for you. But I think what you find is as you get older, you groan more. In a, in, I'm just in a sort of physically way. But that longing gets more intense. As, a, as, a, as this body deteriorates, so we put less and less hope in this life And it becomes so clear that the hope is in the life to come. I think we have much to learn, um, friends, from godly older Christians in this regard. If you're a younger person here today, do talk to older people, older Christians who've walked with the Lord for decades and have been through stuff that would make you crumble. I guarantee you'll be blessed by your conversation you know, I'm just trying to think. One older Christian uh, used to say to me quite regularly um, as they came into church, slightly tongue-in-cheek, um, don't get old. <laughs> to which I would always say, I'll try not to. But I think in, it, in his way, he was kind of letting me know that getting old is hard, actually. And that uh, there are conditions that older, older saints have to carry that younger saints we would just crumble under. And I, and I think that's God's way, actually, of um, getting us to stop putting our hope in this life. It's the way he designs it. It's like he's weaning us off. You know how you, you wean a child off uh, milk? That's what you do, isn't it? I should know this. 
you wean them off milk into solid food. It's, it's like God is doing that as we, as we get older. So that our hope would be in him. Another older Christian uh, in his 70s once said to me, um, <clears throat> Mark, you're young. You probably don't think about heaven very much, which is normal, because I didn't used to. But now that I'm old, I think about heaven quite a lot. And that's always stayed with me when he said that. He thinks about heaven quite a lot. Why? Because he knows it's not going to be long. Again, this godly groaning is intensifying as he gets older, as he, as he feels his body um, weakening and withering. So his hope is strong in God. Groan, don't grumble. But let's take a step back for a moment. Again, you might be struggling with all of this. <laughs> struggling really to grasp hold of, of what is being said here. Because part of the problem is... If you look at Christians, we don't look any different. You don't see anything different. Do you know Iron Man? Some Marvel fans out here. If you looked at him, do you remember what he's got in his chest? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a fusion reactor. It's clear this guy's got some power, okay? You can look at him, and he can put on the suit. There's power in there. But the problem is you look at a Christian and they get old like everyone else. They get sick like everyone else. Their bones break like everyone else. You cut us, we bleed. Hurt us, we cry. We look the same as everyone else. So what do we have? We have God's promises. Is that enough? It is. And that brings us on to our third heading. We wait with hope. Because look at verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved, says Paul. Now hope is, that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, dear friends, God intends that for now we live by faith and not by sight, on his promises. That's the way he's designed it. We may wish it was different. I wish I could see more of what is coming. I wish I could look in and see that my future is glorious. But we can't see that. All we have are his promises. But you know what? That's enough. We live by faith and not by sight. And that has always been the way with the Old Testament saints of old. Abraham lived by faith, not by sight. Moses Live by faith, not by sight. David, he lived by faith, not by sight. The prophets all live by faith and not by sight. And what about us? Well, it's exactly the same for us. We live by faith and not yet by sight. That's why I think the writers of the Hebrews, I think I've got it on the screen. Um, it's Hebrews 11.1. In fact, Rex and I were looking at Hebrews 11.1 just a second ago. Um, the, the writer of the Hebrews says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. See, this is God's way for us, that we don't yet see it, but we see it with the eyes of faith. And in a way, that makes it, that's one of the things that makes it hard to be a Christian, right? Because we can't yet see it physically. But one day we will. One day we will. 
There's, there's wonderful verses like 1 John 3, 2 that say, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he, as he is. Do you get it? One day we will see. We will see. But until that day, what do we do? Well, according to the passage, for now we wait. Did you spot that two times it comes? Verse 23, we wait eagerly, um, a bit like how uh, children uh, eagerly wait for their birthday or for Christmas, counting down the days. We wait eagerly, but we also wait patiently. Do you see in verse 25, that word patience means with endurance, with perseverance, we wait. Now, I don't know what you think about our culture, but I think our culture is increasingly bad at waiting for things. Like, what? It's not on Amazon Prime? It's not coming tomorrow? <laughs> or, you know, if, you, um, if you're at the traffic lights, I think it's a North London thing, maybe. Uh, you're at traffic lights, it goes green, and you're just fumbling around. <laughs> it's a millisecond, and then someone's <laughs> behind you. We're bad at waiting. But, do you know what? As Christians, we need to develop waiting muscles because in a, in a way, the Christian life is all about waiting. Waiting patiently, waiting eagerly. Because we wait in confidence for our hope to come. Let me just summarize where we've got to. We've thought about today about the redemption of our bodies. It's quite a big idea, actually, to grasp hold of it. It's coming. We could be confident that it is coming. One, because of Christ's resurrection. Second, because of the Spirit's guarantee. What do we do while we wait? Well, we are to groan, not grumble. Remember, with faith and trust, not with uh, bitterness and anger. Until the day Christ returns, we are to wait in hope, eagerly and patiently. Do you remember the uh, examples that we looked at at the start? Um, maybe, like, maybe like Connie, um, your body is broken at the moment. Maybe you're tempted to despair. Um, maybe there's not a day goes by where you're not in some kind of pain. Well, we wait eagerly and patiently for our unseen hope, the redemption of our bodies. And I think, in a way, if you're like Connie, we want to turn every ache into a heartache for heaven. See the idea? Every time we experience pain, every time we go to a hospital appointment, every time we take the medication, we should let that be a reminder, a heartache for heaven. Maybe you're more like Ration. It's not that your body is broken, it's just you're really unhappy with it. And you know what? That's really tough. You know, if you're teased at school, and school can be the cruelest place on earth at times, can't it? When, when your greatest enemy is the mirror, well, what do we do? Wait eagerly, wait patiently for our unseen hope, because the redemption of your body is coming. And may every tear, every cry of the heart move you to take courage for what is to come. Or maybe you're a bit more like Justin with his beautiful body. <laughs> and you know what? That's great. That's a gift. Use that. Use your energy. Use your strength 
to serve the Lord, to build his kingdom, to do the stuff that older folks can't. And, but do get prepared. Because, like the rest of us, one day health will go and the body will break. You know what? That's God's way of teaching us not to put our hope in this life, but in the one to come. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your words to us today. Thank you for this huge topic of the redemption of our bodies. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to groan in faith as we eagerly wait and wait patiently and wait eagerly for Christ's return, where one day we will be with him. We thank you that that's possible because he took that condemnation that we deserve on the cross. And thank you that because of his resurrection life, one day we too will have that resurrection life. Father, help these things to sink in. Keep on ministering to our hearts as we need all the way through this week and on to the rest of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.